Well, uh, thank you everybody for your, your welcome and your warmth too. And for all of those of you who are visitors here and for those online, uh, thank you. Just thank you for being here today. It's great to have you. Well, it, it, each week in this series, Sitting at His Feet, we've looked at different aspects of Jesus' character and nature, and it sort of begs the question, what kind of relationship with God, or what kind of relationship does God want with you? I don't know if you ever thought that through. What sort of relationship does God want with you? So your relationship with God, as we listen, have many aspects. So you've got God as your, uh, as your father, and God as your creator, God as your maker. He is your, your Lord, your Savior. So you've got all these different aspects. And then as we followed this series around, we picked up on things like we've seen Jesus gentle and humble. And then we've seen him full of compassion. And another aspect was his suffering servant. But I think that the most shocking and the most wonderful of the relational aspects of God that he wants with you is his friend. That is stunning. An almighty God who can just shush the waves and the wind wants to be a friend with you. So one of the most striking references in in Christ's friendship is in Matthew's, um, Matthew's gospel and Jesus is, is quoting his accusers and, and namely they're, they're the religious leaders there and antagonistic of Jesus and they've got this line about him and Jesus is quoting them. They say of him that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is a friend of the most despicable kind of sinner known in that culture at that time. Now, it's an accusation laced with contempt and disgust. Jesus, however, has no problem. He, he's no problem being drawn to these people. None at all whatsoever. You know, and in his gospel, Luke drops a little line in there, and it's prior to Jesus' teaching on the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And, and, and just right at the beginning of all of that, you get now the tax collectors. And sinners were all drawing near to hear him. This is like a confirmation of what Jesus does and who he connects with. They can't stay away from him. They're at ease with him. And he is evidently at ease with them. So we're going to look at three aspects this morning. And um, this afternoon too. And this is friendship. So... Why, why is friendship so important? And secondly, what does this friendship look like? And thirdly, how can I deepen this friendship? So first, why is friendship so important? Now, the reason we're looking at this aspect of friendship is because at the last meal, Jesus is with his disciples, and just, it's just the meal before the crucifixion known as the Last Supper, and he says these words, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is in John 15. 
You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. I mean, just listen. Here, friendship is at the very heart of God. The Bible tells us that we're made in his image. So we are made for friendship and community. It's, It's the way God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's community. It's togetherness. And, you know, one of the best books I've read on the Trinity, and some people find it quite mystifying, and I think he demystifies it, is this, uh, is Michael Reeves, it's called The Good God, and it's just a brilliant book. It's a really good book. I'm going to read a quote from uh, Michael Reeves' book. It'll come up on screen too. If God was just one person, he could not be intrinsically loving Since for all eternity, before creation, he would have had no one to love. If there were two persons, he went on, God might be loving, but in an excluding and ungenerous way. After all, when two persons love each other, they can be so infatuated with each other that they simply ignore everyone else. I think we have probably experienced some of that. But when love between two persons is happy, healthy, and secure, they rejoice to share it. So it is with God. The Father and the Son have delighted to share their love and joy with and through the Holy Spirit. God has wired us with this need for friendship and community. He's made us this way. And then you read the account in Genesis chapter 1. And there's this constant refrain that goes through Genesis chapter 1. As God creates this and he creates that and creates the other. And you've got this little line that goes, and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. The constant refrain. And then there's a jarring moment. In the, in the, it's not good for man to be alone. There's one thing not good. It's not good for man to be alone. We are made for friendship. Someone wrote that there is no pain like the pain of loneliness. Marla Paul, a columnist for the Chicago Tribune, a number of years ago, he confessed in print, I am lonely. How did it happen that I could be 42 years old and not have enough friends. This loneliness saddens me. Esther Ranson wrote an article in the Daily Mail a number of years ago about her own isolation. And Esther Ranson writes this. She said, loneliness does not respect gender or age. And money in the bank is no defense to it. Young and old have written to me. Divorcees, disabled people, widowers, and many, many widows. Because alas, we women tend to outlive the men we love. We don't talk about loneliness. Because loneliness bears its own stigma. Man was not meant to live alone. 
God's, God's made us this way for friendship and community. We need it. Do you know, over the last two years, COVID has displaced and isolated many people. And, and I don't want us to think that we're, we're over that because we're not. Because the repercussions and the ripples of this are still moving and they're still going on. We're still living with the consequences. Church, look, whatever we are, whatever we are, let us be really good at welcoming people. I mean here, let us be really good at kings. Let us be a hallmark that we are good at welcoming people. Don't think it's just down to those who've got the welcome polo shirt on. Uh, This is for us. This is for all of us. Giving people the opportunity to connect with others. Friendship with other human beings is just indispensable. Nothing can replace it. So why is it so important? This is God's DNA. And if it's his DNA, we're made in his image. This is our DNA too. So what does this, friend, this friendship with Jesus look like? So when, when you look at the ideal friendship, you could go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and you see Adam in the garden and he's walking with God in the cool of the day and it's very personal, it's incredibly intimate and there's no religion, there's no rituals, no regulations, no rules. Oh, except one. That tree. One tree, just one tree. Don't eat the fruit of it. Other than that, that was it. They were made for constant, uh, constant fellowship. Enjoying God's presence. Now, when sin came in, that friendship was broken. And it was broken. And it was lost. And if you go through the Old Testament, you have a look at the Old Testament, you'll find there's not many people who are known as the friend of God. You'll have Abraham. And there was Enoch. Because we're told about Enoch that he walked with God and suddenly God takes him. You know, I want, I want you to be with me. And then there's Moses and David. There's not a lot. In fact, it's, it's, the relationship with God wasn't like that. And here's the point, my friend. Jesus has changed all of that. Absolutely all of that. And Paul writes this thing in, in, in Romans chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. He says, but since our friendship with God was restored, in other words, it was broken. But since it was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through his life, through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our, a wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Friends of God. Oh, that's stunning. So they didn't have access like we do in the Old Testament. They don't get to do this direct stuff that you do. You can't buy this friendship. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to have this friendship either. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus. That is the only way. Jesus says, I've called you friends. No human being 
can befriend like Jesus. No, no human being can befriend like Jesus. It's an amazing thing. Now, no other religion can go like, no other religion can touch this. Eastern religions will say that God is beyond emotion and God is beyond grief and joy and tears. Well, if he's beyond those things, he's beyond friendship. And then ancient Greeks said that the gods were apatheia, which you probably get a gist of what that means. It means apathetic. Well, you can't have, that means their gods are incapable of having a relationship. We were made for friendship. But believe me, this is the point. This one comes first. This is the prime relationship. Uh, this is the bullseye of every, this is the important relationship. Above anything else, you need friendship with God. Every other friendship, my friends, is going to fall short. If you haven't experienced that, well, you're due, you're due for disappointment. You see, if you put ultimate friendship with all the satisfaction that goes along with it, if you put that on another, you're going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. And furthermore, you will put on that person mission impossible. Because they, why? Because they can't hold the weight of value of your life. No one can do that. There's too much worth to you to do it. Only God can do that. All human relationships are imperfect. So ultimately, the most important need of friendship is in your life is with Jesus. And look at him. Tax collectors and sinners, they can't keep away from him. You know, others look down at them and they maintain their distance from him. Not Jesus. He, he's pulling them into his very heart. Even the best of friendships can exhaust you. They can. But in Jesus, we have one who will always Always enjoy your presence and never refuse it. You will never be too much for him. You might be too much for others, but you'll never be too much for him. You know, sometimes we want to draw back because of things that we've said and things that we have done. And I'll tell you what, it has the opposite effect on Jesus. It has the opposite effect. That just makes him want to come all the more closer. Come on, parents, you would have understood this. You know, when, the, when your children pull away because they don't really want to be with you because they've done something wrong or whatever, you want to draw near to them. He wants to draw near to you. The Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I have called you friends. What a line. This Jesus... He's the friend whose embrace of us, it doesn't strengthen or weaken depending on how clean or unclean you see yourself or how attractive or revolting you might see yourself or how faithful and fickle you might presently be. No, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. You will never have to get in line to have access to him. You won't have to do that. At the very least, his friendship delights in spending time with you, whatever the situation. 
I hope you get that. This is such an important friendship. You know, in relational circles, we have those on the fringes, and we probably might call them acquaintances, just people that we know in passing. And as we draw those circles closer together, we might have some that we know better, but not intimately. But as you move further in, that very close circle, you may have perhaps one, maybe two, possibly three, who are really intimate, close friends. People who who get you, and you get them. And you know them, and they know you. And I'm aware for some... I'm aware for some here that even that is too many and they wish they had a friend too. But who in our lives do we feel safe with? I mean, truly safe, enough to open up about everything. Who do we do that? Uh, Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he says, even in marriage... We don't get naked of soul the way we have in the body. So it's a really good line. My wife and I had a little chat about that the other day. Listen, not once will he raise an eyebrow with what you share with him. Not once. He's never going to be caught out. He knows you so well. Even the worst parts those parts you hardly dare admit to yourself. Do you know, it's one of the reasons I kept Jesus at a distance. I was just, no, I don't want to go there. It's because I don't want to face my, I don't want to face my failures. I don't want to face my disgrace. I don't want to face the shame of the conduct of my life. I, don't, I just didn't want to do that. Jesus never gave up. I mean, he just loved me and he pursued me and he loved me and he pursued me. Listen, he just transformed my life. What what a wonderful, what a wonderful friend. All our human friendships have limits, but not him. John 15 says, greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. The whole point of being about laying down his life, I mean, it was the, it's the whole of him. He gave his Whole of himself to you and me. Nothing withheld. He gave his all. Absolutely everything. Not even a little bit held back. The whole lot. He gave his all. Pierced. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we're healed. He loved us to death that we might know his life. You know, he broke the power of sin. Just understood what it does to you and me. Broke the power of sin on the cross. We sometimes think it's the nails that held him there. No. No, it's just love for you and me. Held him. He broke the power of sin. Defeated death on the cross. He took our ugliness that we might have his loveliness. And when he rose from the dead, he didn't abandon his humanity. This is why he still understands. He understands. Why? Because 
He rose in bodily form. Read the scriptures. And it says, we have a man in heaven. God, yes, and we have a man in heaven. The man Christ Jesus. He understands. He gets you. He knows you at your worst. He's the best of the best of friends. We're told to choose our friends wisely. Well, whatever you think of his wisdom, Christians, he's chosen you. He's chosen you. And it's intentional, and he knows that he's chosen you. Don't put yourself off. Don't put yourself to the back of the queue. No, 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 no. He has chosen you because he wants friendship with you. So, lastly, how can I deepen my friendship with Jesus? If you're making notes, note this. Make knowing God your number one priority. Make knowing God your number one priority. In comparison to everything else, Paul tells us, everything else is worthless. Make God your number one priority. Christ first. Listen, first thing in the morning. Tell him. First thing in the morning. I, I tell him first thing in the morning. Lord, I, I, I just want to know you better today. I belong to you. I, I repeat some of the truths. That it's, I've been chosen by you. I've been called by you. Your things, you have great plans for me. So, so I tell him. I speak to him. I put, Lord, I, I want to know you better today. This is, this is in your hands, Christians. Your, your, your family can't do this, and your friends can't do this. Your spouse can't do this. Only you can do it. And, and if Sunday mornings, if Sunday meetings are your, you know, your, your time with God, my goodness, you're leaving yourself well short. You've missed it. This is, this is a relationship, my friends. Illiterate relationship. Rick Warren said this. He said, I'm as close to God as I choose to be. That's a very challenging statement. You and I are close to God as we choose to be. Each day, put him first. I was reading the Psalms this morning and uh, Psalm 84, just caught by that. It says that, it talked about the temple and that the sparrow has found a home. And the, it says, and the swallow a nest near your altar. And the psalmist is making the point, you know, even, even the birds want to be close to you. Why wouldn't we want to be close to him? So, how else can I deepen my friendship with Jesus? Slow down and be quiet. You've got to make space for God in your life um, I no longer call you servants, he said. You know what servants do? They do duty. They do duty. They do duty. But I no longer call you servants. Friends. Because a servant doesn't know the master's business. I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father I've made known to you. Friends of Jesus are in the inner circle. Nothing's withheld. He's just, they're in the inner circle. He, they're in the know. They're more than that. They've got the heart of God. So I mean, take time in his word and, and talk to him about it. Look, look, look. It's, it's, it, it's written for you. It's written for you. Don't miss it. 
And, and I've noticed we're doing the Old Testament. We're doing the Old Testament in a year. And um, there is this sort of temptation to rush it. So at the moment we're in Psalms. And so we're doing three Psalms. This is where we are. I don't know what will happen when we get to Psalm 119, which apparently has quite a lot of verses. And so uh, we do three Psalms. And then, and you can think, you can think, all right, that's one, that's two, that's three. Tick all the box, done it. But that's not the point. The point is God wants to speak to you and arrest your attention. And there's nothing like the Psalms to do it. So I'm saying don't rush. Don't rush. I'm not encouraging you to miss a day. But hey, I, I just want you to stop. I want you to stop, slow down, be quiet, press the pause button, and let God speak to you. It's for you. And then also through your day, the people you're interacting with, let God speak to you. Ask him about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring anything to mind about your life. Ask him to do it. Don't go delving all that. The Holy Spirit will do that for you. And, and, and perhaps he wants to bring a word of encouragement to someone. And all those people that you connect with, perhaps he has a word of encouragement. Somebody was telling me this morning that God did exactly that. Gave them a word of encouragement to give to somebody. Slow down. God wants to speak to you. I remember a particularly busy time, and uh, I'm rushing my, these, my Bible times, and I was just rushing and rushing, and then I, I, had, uh, I, was, I was on holiday, and I had a bit of space, and spent some time out with the Lord, and just with his word, and praying, and talking, and, and worshiping, actually, and, and uh, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me, and it's not, it wasn't an audible voice, but it felt very clear and it was like oh hi Neil I've missed you I thought and it was really sweet you know it wasn't condemnatory it was really sweet God wants to speak to you why because you're his friend hallelujah so endeavor third point endeavor to have a constant conversation with the Lord I find it helpful when I'm in the car, on my own, I do a lot of talking. I, I talk out loud in the car. I talk out loud to other drivers. Uh, I don't know why you're laughing. It's just as if, uh, what a strange thing for a person to do. But I, I sense there are other people in the room who do the same. I've noticed that my family has a history of this. And I know where they got it from. Has me. And I'm talking to other drivers because I, I like to improve their driving. <laughs> That's just what I like to do. And uh, so I, 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 chat, I chat away to them um, because obviously they don't drive as well as I do. You realize that? Anyway. But I use this time. I use the time to talk things over with the Lord. And I talk things through with him. And I have an ongoing conversation about you know, my thoughts and my concerns and my dilemmas, my plans, my present, my future. There's an ongoing conversation. I'm asking God for his guidance and his help. And what is it Paul says about pray without ceasing, isn't it? 
And it's a little bit of that. And I find what, what's happening as I'm doing that is I'm putting my whole life in front of the Lord. I'm putting my whole life in front of the Lord. And I encourage you to do the same so it doesn't just stop in the car, you know. There's thoughts going on and I'm talking. I'm trying to put my, I'm trying to put my whole life in front of the Lord. Live your life in front of him. Endeavor to have a constant conversation with the Lord. And take on these practices. You'll find them on the website um, in the sit at his feet section. Take them on board. Have a look at them. They're worth following through. Finally, Revelation 3. God has a word for the Christians at the church in Laodicea, which he describes as wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. So as you can see, this is far complementary. And then he says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, and then I thought, you got this little pause. What will he do? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what will he do? He says, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. He doesn't invite us to go where he is. The invitation for him to come where we are. So whatever mess and whatever disorganization might be going on in our life, the invitation is that he comes to us. We don't have to clean ourselves up to go to him. We go, he comes to us. He wants to be with you. He loves being with you. And he's not waiting for you to trigger his heart towards you. It is already triggered. He's already there waiting. So I'm saying, take the invite. My friends today, if that's where it is, take the invite today. And wherever you are, whatever you place you find yourself in, invite him in. He offers the best of the best of friendships. Amen.